Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. This is the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got a lot of interviews to get to, as we do each and every week right here on the Interview Edition. And we've got a very diverse palette of guests on today's show, which I'm excited to share with you right now. Let's first speak with the two main eventers, Marvin Vittori and Paulo Costa. And I'll give you a little bit of a disclaimer here that when I spoke to Marvin Vittori, there was no information yet available regarding this fight potentially happening at a catchweight. Uh, at Media Day, Vittori had come out with it. I had spoke to him before Media Day. So uh, he was clearly not in a great mood because I'm sure he had found out that his opponent was really not planning on cutting any weight for this uh, event. And uh, I understandably got pretty short answers from him. And if I were in his shoes, I probably would be feeling the same way. So, uh, you know, no shade thrown at Marvin Vittori from this side of things because I, I can completely understand his frustrations with the situation. But either way, it was nice uh, that I was able to get some of his time. Paulo Costa, of course, I spoke to him after media day. Uh, you, if you follow me on social media, you probably saw an excerpt of that interview where he talks about really his decision to not cut any weight for this particular main event. And maybe I'll take a moment to speak about that before we get to these interviews if you're interested. And if not, you can skip ahead a couple minutes. But this is just a, a really interesting situation. And, uh, you know, my colleague Damon Martin over at MMA Fighting and I got into it a little bit. I think he was kind of misunderstanding where I was coming from. I wasn't trying to commend Paulo Costa for saying he isn't planning on cutting weight or wants this to be at a catch weight and showing up uh, at 211 pounds on the Wednesday of fight week. Really, my point was that him being forthright with this information prevented the fight from A, being scrapped altogether, B, Marvin Vittori having to cut a bunch of weight for no reason at all, because, you know, if, if Costa really had no commitment to cutting weight, I doubt he would have been able to get under really 192, 193 pounds. So if that happens, usually the commission will just scrap the fight altogether. And the last thing you would want to see is Vittori cut to 186 pounds, you know, drain himself to make the weight only to have the fight cut off and we have no idea who's getting show money who's getting win money who's getting whatever for these instances it's never really made public so maybe they say okay marvin well we're not going to pay you anything but we want you to fight in three weeks i don't know what the situation is i'm just speculating i have no idea but for costa to come out and say listen this should be at a catch weight i'm not going to make weight at least at least doing that on the wednesday of fight week where vittori probably is not below 195 pounds at that point in time he's probably close to 200 pounds He's still probably pretty healthy. He's probably dieting pretty strictly, but I don't think that he's really depleting himself at this point in the week. At least now, Vittori doesn't have to do all of that. He can go and say, well, okay, he wants it to be at 195. Now I only have to cut 5 pounds instead of having to cut 15 pounds, which is a big deal to a fighter. It's going to allow him to enter this fight healthy too. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that Costa is going to have an advantage here. But if both of them are 195 pounds within the two-hour weigh-in fra- you know, weigh frame, the only advantage that Costa will have, really, is that he didn't have to be dieting that strictly during this camp, which he might have had to do anyway. I don't know what he normally walks around with at, at out of camp. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the 225 to 230-pound range. So, my only point was, this is a better alternative to the fight getting scrapped altogether after both guys had attempted to cut weight and, and drain themselves. Because that's the worst-case scenario, in my opinion. 
is that both guys have to cut all this weight and the fight doesn't happen and gets scrapped. And then you, you're left with no main event if you're the promotion because at least now the promotion can adjust. Um, because if you're putting on UFC Fight Night, Grant versus Glenn, which is the co-main event. Uh, sorry, Dawson versus Glenn. Grant is his first name. Dawson versus Glenn. You're probably not going to be thrilled with that if you're the promotion. And if you're a fan watching and you hear that Dawson versus Glenn... If you're like a Fairweather fan or you're a casual fan or whatever, you're not going to know who these guys are. And and no disrespect to, to Grant Dawson, who's had a great UFC career so far, or to Rick Glenn, who's been a, around for a long time in this sport, uh, has done great things uh, in the World Series of Fighting, and uh, subsequently has done well in the UFC, especially his last fight where he scored a first-round knockout over Joaquin Silva. So when you when you look at the, the two options, if those are just the only two options is Costa coming out and saying, listen, I showed up, I'm unprepared, I'm not going to cut weight, be able to cut weight for this. I, in fact, I have no desire to cut weight whatsoever. At least if he comes out with that on the Wednesday, rather than like the Thursday night, it's a better alternative than the fight getting scrapped altogether and both guys cutting weight for no reason. That's the only point I was trying to make there. And I stand by that. I, I still think that even though this is a terrible look for Paulo Costa, for him to just show up and say, no, I'm not going to cut weight. Like what, how, how often do we see that? I mean, we saw the Nick Diaz situation. People are comparing it to Nick Diaz. But as I often cite with George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, all animals are created equal. Some animals are more equal than others. Nick Diaz is one of those animals who's more equal than others. The UFC can do without Paulo Costa, in my opinion. I think that they, if, if Paulo Costa went to another promotion tomorrow, I don't think it, it takes a dime away from the UFC. And I think Paulo Costa could, could be a big star in another promotion, but I don't think he's a big star in the UFC, at least not at this stage in his career, and I don't think that this is going to help his stock at all. So with that being said, let's get to these interviews. Marvin Vittori I spoke to before, any sort of catchweight conversation had taken place, at least uh, in the public eye. And Paulo Costa, after his media day, before it was announced that they had agreed upon a catchweight, of 195 pounds, which I don't, I don't know if that's been made official just yet, but really it was just me asking him, you know, why is this situation occurring? What's happening? What's the deal here? And, um, you know, I appreciate his honesty on it and, and all that, but uh, for him, I think there was a little bit of delusion there that he was going to be able to just call it a catchweight because he wants to not lose any of his purse. Really, there'd be no penalty for him whatsoever. That's the fight. That's the way he wants it. It's not a title fight. That's the way it should be. Mm, not, not the way it works around here, unfortunately. If that was the way it worked, that would be great. I mean, if, if, if they said only title fights are going to be contested at a specific weight, and uh, you know, otherwise it's going to be a catch weight of whatever, 190 pounds, 190, whatever. They just don't do that. That's not, what, that's not what the UFC does. So those are the first two interviews. We also have two other participants on this card. Canadian Random Marcos has lost four in a row. The last loss, unfortunately, was kind of a, a weird one. It was an illegal upkick on her part, but one that seemed to really graze her opponent and her opponent at least appeared to be milking it in the cage. But she's been given, let's, let's put that in the past, she's been given another opportunity. She's facing Livia Hanata Souza uh, on Saturday. And Jeff Molina, this guy's one of my favorite guys to talk to. I, I just love this kid. I think that he's, he's going to go really, really far in this sport because of his mentality. Um, you, you watch his demeanor in the cage. He's very calm. He's very relaxed. His face doesn't really change. When you talk to him, he's smiling. He's, you know, he's nice. He's, he just seems like a really good ambassador of the sport and, and one who wants to be a coach one day even though he's in his early 20s he's, he's a very selfless teammate 
Um, you know, this isn't a team sport, but he's somebody who believes in the team aspect of sports. You hear about him talking about glory kickboxing, about his coach, James Krause, and how, how high of a reverence he has for James Krause and how he wants to follow in his footsteps. Like, all of this is just very refreshing to hear from, from a young man like this. So um, I think Jeff Molina is really going places, and uh, he's facing Daniel Lacerda on this weekend's card. Newcomer to the promotion. Uh, very, very high-octane action fighter. Both these guys are, and uh, I, I'm eager to see this one for that reason. Also joining us, the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix now finalist, Corey Anderson, who's going to be taking on Vadim Nemkov in the finals for a million dollars and the Bellator Light Heavyweight Championship. Those things both at stake for Corey Anderson, who seems to be really enjoying life in the Bellator promotion and has really gotten uh, the ability to hit the reset button on his career and has taken full advantage of that. Big win over Ryan Bader inside of a minute last week. Man, that was impressive. I expected him to win that fight, but I didn't expect it to go like that. I don't think anybody did, except for maybe Corey Anderson and his team. Maybe they knew something we didn't, but, and, and I mean, he has alluded to that. So Corey Anderson will join us, as will perhaps the heavyweight in combat sports with the most longevity at a high level, Rico Verhoeven, who's for eight years has been the glory heavyweight champion. I think he's the longest tenured champion in glory and to do that in the heavyweight division in kickboxing is just unheard of. This guy is really uh, a superstar of the sport and an anomaly in combat sports for his ability to face the, the biggest, baddest men on the planet in kickboxing and, and to continue to rise to the occasion time in and time out. So uh, kudos to Rico Verhoeven. Pleasure to speak with him. And he will be our final guest on today's TSN MMA show. Mm, TSN kickboxing show, at least for a, a short duration of time. But uh, pleasure speaking with the king of kickboxing himself, Rico Verhoeven. So let's get right to it. Here's our interview with Paulo Costa, followed by Marvin Vittori, Randa Marcos, Jeff Molina, Corey Anderson, and Rico Verhoeven. Let's go! I'm now joined by Paulo the Eraser Costa, who's in the main event against Marvin Vittori this Saturday. And I guess the big question is, Paulo, what weight class is this happening at? Uh, you were at media day today, and it doesn't look like this fight's going to be in middleweight. Yes, this is a, a, a good question for me as well. I don't know exactly which, which weight we will do that fight. But I don't care for weight, you know. I, I could fight him on the heavyweight also. I I really uh, hope Marvin think think the same at the same you know uh, fight on uh, every weight that, that people want to make that fight happen. I will be there. I'm happy to be here. And you know I think when they they make they make um, Cat weight is better for both athletes, more energy, more powerful on the on the on the hits, on the kicks and the pushes, and can bring a more excited fight for the fans. I think the big question people are asking is why do you weigh 212 pounds today when you're supposed to weigh 186 pounds on Friday morning? Uh, I think that's what everybody's curious about. Uh, my weight now. He's like 96 kilos. Yeah, I think people are wondering why, though. Why is it so high today when it's Wednesday and uh, the weigh-ins in two days? Yeah, because 
they they will make a cutaway. That that's why I'm not pushing to to go down. My you know. I understand. Well, the uh, the manager for uh, Marvin Vittori said that he's willing to fight anybody this weekend at heavyweight, whatever the weight class is. So it sounds like this fight is going to happen. But ideally for you, what weight class would it be? And what, what would you like? The, if there was going to be a catch weight, what, what do you think is a fair number? It's up to, it's up to him. You know, uh, 195, 205, I really don't care. Do you think that this is going to result in him getting some of your purse because he's accepting the fight at a higher weight? Yeah. Sorry. Do, you think, do you think he's going to get some of your money because uh, the fight's going to be at a higher weight? Can you ask again, Aaron? Yeah, yeah. Does, does he think that some of uh, his purse money is going to go to uh, Marvin because he's accepting a higher weight on during fight week? No, because he will uh, make the same, the same weight. Don't make sense you know, uh, text me for that, you know, I, f I believe that it's fair to pay when you make a deal to make one weight and you miss the weight and your opponent make that weight. So on this case, it's fair to pay for your opponent. But when you have a catch weight, not. The both athletes agree to make that weight. You know, if somebody missed the weight, yes, pay the tax. But if not, I don't think this is fair and I will not pay nothing. You mentioned at the beginning, you don't even, you don't like the idea of cutting weight. Um, is that always been your uh, stance on it? Is you, you think that weight cutting is not something that the athletes should be doing? You mentioned that, you know, not Você acha que é uma coisa que os atletas não deveriam estar fazendo? I, I can talk to uh, um, for for me for myself. For me is is bad, you know. When I cut weight, I can't make 185 for the title. I may I made that that, that way that uh, already is not a, a huge huge problem, you know. But I prefer not cut so much, too much weight. I prefer, of course, I can uh, enjoy the the whole week better and train with more energy and supposed to fight better also as well. Last question about this: Have you thought about maybe just moving up to two hundred and five pounds so that you'd barely have to cut any weight? Hmm? Yeah, this is one thing that I I I think always, but I need to to to, to fight for the tire again on 185 before make that movement. I feel like if you fought at 205, you'd have a very quick path to the title, probably just one, maybe two wins, and you'd be right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah this fight will. will you know, it's like a. Uh, if we do uh, do a catch weight, we'll we'll be a little different because we will not be a 185, maybe one 195 or 205. But 
the most important thing is I am five against a middleweight guy, and I am middleweight guy as well. You know, it's not fight for fighting for the light heavyweight Hank. You know, so I think not 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 a big problem about that. Well, let's talk about you. How much better are I you? Mean, since... Sorry, oh, sorry. sorry. Just, just to make sure. I mean, this fight will be a a good uh, moment to see the difference between me and Marvin at middleweight class division. You know, uh, and can affect the rank of the middleweight division. You know, it's not. We not we not talk about the light heavyweight, just a catch weight. I understand, but it's not a middleweight fight. So I know Dana White has often said that he doesn't feel yeah, like fights. We not fight for the title for, for the for the belt. Okay, I understand. So so you believe that fight fights that are non-title fights, as long as you're you're in that weight class, you feel like there should be a little bit more fluidity in the weight. I mean, when you fought in California against Joel Romero, you were 213 pounds on fight night. So even if you cut down to 185, you're probably still going to be yes. 213 if you don't cut down to 185. You got it. Yeah, you're right. I think same. When I fought Romero, I fought more. I, I was waiting more than 205 when I fought Romero. I fought him like the same way that I have now, 96 kills or 97. Maybe having that now. When I fought Romero for the middleweight, so you mean uh, you you understand what uh, what you mean? Uh, um, it's the same guys, the same weight. The the only difference is on the Friday, the the weight to make is different. It's not 185. But I I, I understand different point of view as well. well let's talk about uh, you as a fighter. It's been a while since you've been in the cage. I asked Marvin when I spoke to him today, um, and he said he doesn't feel like you've improved. But I don't think he has any real way of telling because you haven't been fighting for the last year. So how, how much have you improved since your last fight, and what are some new things that you think we're going to see on Saturday that we haven't seen from you before? Okay, I will make sure that I understand completely your question. Um, can, can you repeat, please? Sorry, man. Please, I need you. <laughs> I can ask you again. So, he, when uh -huh. I spoke to when I spoke to Marvin, he said he doesn't think that you've improved as a fighter. But we haven't seen you in more than a year. So, what are we going to see on Saturday that we haven't seen from you before? Entendeu? No. A gente não tiver faz um ano lutando. O que que a gente vai ver é, de diferente? Uh, you guys will see a different Paulo than fight against. Adesanya, but the same Paulo before that. The same Paulo before that is the Paulo that fought Yoel Romero. We're gonna see. Yes, yes. And we haven't seen you fight in a five-round fight. Is that another reason why you you want to be a little bit more healthy on fight night, is so that you can go five rounds without damaging your body? Sorry, please. Repeat. We haven't seen you fight five rounds before, so is that another reason why you want to be perfectly healthy on fight night, so that you can go five rounds with, without uh, any impact no, on no, your body? No, no, no. Uh, five rounds or three rounds don't don't 
make any difference through this cat bait. So you're, this fight is still going to be five rounds, right? Regardless of the weight? Sorry, I, I can't understand. This fight on Saturday will be five rounds anyways, regardless of what weight it's at? No, I don't make a different way to fight. It's time to fight for three, two, or five rounds. You know, uh, because I believe on one thing. I will explain why I don't make difference to fight three or five rounds. Because I believe when I, I can pressure, I can make a pressure against my opponent. Uh, maybe I can expend more energy, but he will need to uh, expend a lot of energy to survive, to handle the heavy hits and powerful hits. So I believe when you push forward, you open it, he need to handle that and use uh, maybe more energy than you. And last question, what do you think Vittori is best at? If you were to say Marv, the best thing that Marvin Vittori has going for him is this. Sorry, man. I didn't see his fights. I don't see to stood his his way to fight. Uh, because the highlights that I saw very quickly on TV, on YouTube, uh, I, I can't see a lot of things to prepare, you know. I saw him use jab, jab and straight uh, right hand, left hand, because he's southpaw, I, I saw, I know that. But just this, I, I not stopped to study him and I just, I, I'm more focused on me and, you know, and get on the Saturday uh, shop and not make net, nothing, uh, uh, make interference, can you understand? Make some, some uh, effect on my performance. Yeah, he said the same thing about you. He said he's focused on himself. So hopefully both of you have done the work and we're going to see the best Paulo Costa, the best Marvin Vittori this Saturday, regardless of what weight class it's at. Uh, thank you for your time, Paulo. I really appreciate it and best of luck on Saturday. Thank you, brother. I, I appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed that fight. It's the fourth straight main event for Marvin Vittori. He headlines this weekend's card against Paulo Costa. Now, Costa hasn't fought since uh, over a year, last July. Is it harder to prepare for somebody having not seen them compete for so long? And not to mention his performance against Israel was pretty flat. It's hard to glean exactly what he's going to bring to the table. Nah, because I don't think he really has improved anyway. So, um, nah, not really. Plus, like, my focus is 95% on, my, on myself anyway. So, I just make sure I'm ready. And then uh, when that's covered, I... You know, I don't have that much else to what to worry about. 
Yeah, I've learned that from speaking to you over the years. You're, you're a lot more focused on your own mental game and what you bring to the table versus what your opponent brings to the table. But when you look at Costa, this is a very aggressive fighter, someone who likes to push forward. You're the same way. Do you think that that's going to make for a good stylistic matchup? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the fans are in for a treat, to be honest. It's going to be great because uh, um, I'm definitely going to give the fans what they want. And... Um, yeah, I mean, we both we both want we, we both bring the fight and uh, we both want to engage and uh, that's that's why I've been looking so much forward to this fight and um, yeah, man, it's gonna be nice. It's gonna be great to pick him apart and and, and smash him. We're gonna have a lot of time to do that over the course of five rounds. You've shown that your your cardio holds up for the duration of a 25 minute fight. We haven't seen him go five rounds. We haven't seen him in those kind of deep waters. Do you feel like that's a big advantage for you? For sure, like he's never even been so. For sure, that doubt that it's in his mind, and um, so yeah, that's that's in general. I think I got way more more dog in me, you know. If I if I you know the the will the will that I have is not it can't be matched, and so and that's the thing I always have with anybody, but especially even with him. So um, that's definitely an advantage, and uh, that's a doubt that 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 will creep in his head. For sure, because he's never even been there. So that, that, that question will always be there. For your last fight against Israel, uh, what was the strategy going into that one? Do you feel like you implemented that strategy over the course of the fight? I have one fight, and that is this Saturday. And uh, that's where all my focus is. I'm done talking about all this other shit. And uh, that's it, man. One thing I know, I'm going to be world champion. And another thing I know, I'm going to see him again. And I will win, and that's it. That's all I need to know. If you don't mind me asking one more question about it, it's more about after the fight itself, where you said at the time you thought you had won the fight. There, no, neither of you took a lot of damage in that fight on either side. Is it one of those things where when you're in it, you feel like you're winning for the entire time? You're not watching the fight like somebody watching on TV or somebody watching case side. You're in the fight. Is it hard to know during a fight whether or not you're getting the better of somebody when it's a close fight like that? I mean, it's it could be tricky, but like I said, I'm done talking about this stuff, man. I understand. What do you think is Paulo Costa's best attribute? If you were to to look at him objectively and say this guy's very good at this one thing, he's aggressive and he's confident, and uh, he comes out strong. That's mainly his good attribute. You spoke to Brett Okamoto about how Costa made the excuse in his title fight that he drank, I guess, wine the night before because he was having trouble sleeping. Last time we spoke, I remember you talking about how you sleep like a baby the night before a fight. Uh, what do you think it is uh, that allows you to do that? And why do you think the nerves got the better of him before that fight? I mean, I don't know. A lot of things could have happened, but mainly it's just because um, he doesn't he doesn't really understand how like his mind works, I guess, and he can bring it to a good place where then he's able to calm it down and eventually sleep. But by, you know, even if you couldn't do that, I don't know what in the war would, uh, you know, would I get you to drink a bottle of wine the day before a title fight. Uh, so that also shows a, a high level of stupidity, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, those mainly are the things. 
Are you going to bring a bottle of wine to the stare downs just to throw them off? You know, like a lot of people bring props. You can just bring a bottle of wine and just hold it in front of them. We'll see. We'll see. That might be an idea. All right. Well, I'm happy to help if you end up uh, using that idea. Uh, the, <laughs> the middleweight title is likely going to be contested in February. It's going to be Israel against Robert Whitaker. Do you cheer for a Robert Whitaker in that situation because you've never fought him and it's a faster track for you to the title? I don't really care. I, I, I think that that fight has to happen and um, it should happen. Um, but with that being said, I eventually want to fight them both. So, you know, I don't really care who wins. Is Kelvin still training with you? I saw that. I, I think he had moved back to Arizona, but is he uh, going back and forth between Kings and, and the new gym? He's moved for now. Uh, but yeah, I don't exactly know all the details. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm here to talk about myself. So with, uh, with Costa over the course of the five rounds, uh, when do you think you'll have your, your best round? Like if this goes all five rounds, do you think that he's going to slow down over the course of the first three rounds? Every round is my round, you know? Like, like they say every year is my year, every round is going to be my round. I can tell you that. All right, Marvin, well, it's a pleasure speaking with you. It's the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card, yourself versus Paulo Costa, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you very much. Please to be joined now by Randa Marcos, who's going to be facing Livia Hanata Souza this weekend at UFC Fight Night. We were just talking about your previous fight against Luana Pinheiro. I, ca- I was asking if it was a no contest, a draw. I remember there was controversy with it, but it ended up being, uh, I guess, a loss for you. That wasn't something you could appeal, I would imagine, right? I tried. Uh, me and my coaches, we tried, but they they can't prove that you know she wasn't hurt. So um, she, I couldn't, I couldn't fight it. Uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Well, I'm glad that you're getting another opportunity in the UFC, uh, this time against Lavinia Souza. So you've moved out to uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You're training with Travis Luter. Uh, what made you decide to move there, and how's that been? Um, You know, with with all of COVID and everything that's been happening, especially in Canada, Canada's really strict right now. And it's just it was just a hassle to go back and forth. And and because um, I, I train in Michigan, so I'd have to cross the border constantly. And uh, just no one was showing up like I didn't have any training partners you know people are afraid to go to the gym over there and stuff so it was just uh I, I couldn't continue doing that and continue fighting so um uh, one of the coaches here in Fort Worth uh offered me to go over there and, and they'd help hook me up with like training partners and all that stuff and and just it, it was just a, a good decision to make at the time because I don't have to worry about COVID over there, you know, like no one, no one really, yeah, everything's a lot lenient compared to other places in, in uh, the world. So that, that definitely made my decision easier. So, and, and I've loved it ever since, like, I, I really like training over there. Uh, the jujitsu is amazing. The striking's good. Everything's been good so far. That's great. So, so Houston was just because uh, somebody in particular had invited you out there and that's why you decided to go there. I mean, Dallas rather, sorry, Fort Worth. Yeah, somebody invited me. Uh, one of the coaches, Justin, invited me. I told him, like, man, I've been having trouble finding partners. So he was like, oh, we'll, we'll help you out. And so I literally, like, was like, I can't do this. I can't continue what I'm doing and expect a different result, especially with, with what's been going on with my record and everything. Like, lately, through all of COVID, I needed to make a change. And, uh, you know, I just thought I had nothing to lose. Might as well try. So, so who have you been able to work with out there? I've been working with Travis and um, working with Justin and, and Shug, my boxing instructor. So, uh, and then like uh, Kevin's also there, and they have a lot of they have a really really good jujitsu t- team. 
a lot of like black bells, a lot of brown, purple bells. So we were able to work with them and just a, a really good team over there. This is a, a must-win situation for you, I imagine. But uh, Lavinia Souza is somebody who has uh, not done well when she's been taken down. Do you think that that's going to be an advantage for you in this fight? Um, uh, well, she's got good jujitsu, that's for sure. We're, we're, we're looking at her jujitsu, and and uh, she's she's got a good ground game and everything. Uh, I'm expecting her to be like from from what I've seen in the past. We didn't really, uh, I didn't study her. My coaches studied her and everything, and uh, we know that she's good on the ground and everything. So I'm, I'm expecting her to try to take the fight to the ground. But um, wherever it goes, I'm ready. We've been focused on me, focused on, on being stronger. And, like, everything I've been doing for the last fight, we just carried it on and just build, build off of it. And I wasn't able to showcase last time. So I'm excited to go in there and finally, like, let go and, and do my thing. The U.S. government's announced that uh, as of November 8th, fighters that are from outside of the U.S. are not going to be able to get back into um the country unless they're fully vaccinated how do you think this is going to affect fighters from canada and from different parts of the world in terms of getting booked because it seems like going forward at least 80 percent 90 percent of the fights uh that the ufc are going to host are going to be in the united states um i'm not really sure i've been able to go back and forth without being vaccinated so uh um I'm hoping things don't change. And if it happens, it happens, you know. Uh, I, I'm not, like, against vaccinations or anything like that. I, I believe that we should all have a choice. Um, and um, hopefully that doesn't happen. But if it does, uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, uh, Dana White's been, been pretty cool with everything. He he told us, like, you know, before, like, he wasn't going to force anybody to do that. And so I'm not sure how it's going to affect it. Hopefully um, it doesn't affect us. But... It, it, when the time comes, I don't know. It, it sucks uh, the way things are going, but it, it, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of different Canadian fighters about it. I mean, it's not a UFC policy. It's a government oversight uh, situation. So uh, yeah. the UFC's hands are tied, at least until anything along those lines changes. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't really have uh, much of a view on all of this. I just, uh, I just believe, like, I, I wish that things would, would be more of a, an option than this and... Um, and it just sucks. I feel like we're going backwards and, you know, and, but whatever happens, happens. I'm not sure. I, I don't have much of a view on it. So after this fight, are you heading back to Windsor? I'm going to, uh, visit some family in San Diego, uh, for a few days. And then I'm going to head back to Windsor. Cause I know I, once I head back to Windsor, I'm going to be, you know, isolating and all that stuff. So I'm going to enjoy, enjoy a little bit of freedom after this camp and after this fight. And then I'll head back. And going forward, um, when are you looking to fight again after this? Are you hoping to just continue to stay active? Um, whatever happens, you know, like we'll see what happens. You know, if I if I get a victory, I would like to come back and uh, God willing, if I'm if I'm uh, healthy and everything, I would like to fight one more time this year if that's possible. But um, I like to stay active. I don't like time off. I don't like to especially too, too much time off. I don't like that. So if I can stay active, I'm and it'll give me the opportunity. I'm ready for it. You've been one of the busier fighters since the UFC's division opened um, in, in the strawweight division. So I, I think that that's certainly been something that the UFC has valued in terms of uh, they know that you're kind of a phone call away. Yeah, um, I've always, you know, this is what I do. This is what I love to do. And before I got into the UFC, I was fighting every, every chance I could get. I fought like five times before I got to the, uh, you know, got the opportunity to fight in uh, the Ultimate Fighter. So it's like being active is not. It's, this is my job. This is what I do. So when I'm not active, it's like, you know, what's the point of, <laughs> you know, what's the point of waking up every day? You know, that's just how I am. 
Was that last fight uh, more difficult than a lot of other fights for you to, um, I guess, accept the result of because of how things went down? Like, was that one of those ones where you were kind of kicking yourself for a while? 100%. Um, I went in there, I, I, you know, I put a lot into that camp. I put a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of everything, you know, sacrifice into that camp. And um, I was hoping to get in there and, like, you know, if I got my ass beat three rounds, okay, I'll, I'll accept it and I'll move on. But, you know, like... It was just, it was really, really frustrating and, and frustrating um, with the way things went down. I I know the force behind that that um, kick and, and there was no force behind it. And, and, it, and obviously, like, I'm not in her shoes. I don't know where she's coming from and stuff, but I feel like I punched her harder than, than that. You know, it's, it just didn't make sense. But things happen, you know, things happen. And, and if she did truly get injured, I, I'm... I'm sorry about it, you know, but uh, it was just, it was just extremely frustrating and, and then rewatching it, I just felt like, but uh, the UFC gave me another opportunity, so I'll take it and um, I'm going to just move forward. Yeah. When did you get that reassurance that you were going to get another opportunity in the UFC? Um, I think I waited, I was like <laughs> in a deep depressed, like mood for a really long time. And then finally, uh, I hit up Mick Maynard and I'm like, all right, you got to tell me, like, am I getting another fight or not? Like, I, I, I need to know. And he's like, no, no, you're good. We're going to give you another fight. So uh, that's when things kind of turned around. Like, okay, all right, stop, you know, get out of this rut and, and focus and move forward. Because, you know, I, with with what's been going on with COVID and everything, I've, I've had a pretty shitty, um, you know, year and a half. So I, I just really, and I love this sport. This is everything for me. So getting a, a second chance like this, it's just... Um, it's just everything to me, and I'm excited about it. Well, we're excited to see you back in the cage this weekend. It's yourself against uh, Lavinia Souza. It's on UFC Fight Night, and uh, Canada has your back, as always, Randa. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. He is El Jefe, Jeff Molina. He fought in one of the fights of the year. Don't forget about it. It's one of the fights of the year back in June against Iori Kilang. And now you're back in action against Daniel Lacerda this weekend. Lacerda, a newcomer to the UFC. Tell me a little bit about him and what you've learned from watching his fights. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. Um, Lacerda, he's uh, he's aggressive, man. He's he's got a good record. Uh, he comes forward. Um, he's super aggressive, actually. He's not just aggressive, but he's uh, almost reckless in his aggressiveness. He's good everywhere. Um, good jujitsu. Good uh, good Muay Thai. Um, like traditional Muay Thai, pretty AB, like jab, cross hook, low kick. Um, his rep is not bad. And uh, I think the UFC matches up for a reason, man. They, they know uh, they know he's aggressive and comes forward, and I'm pretty aggressive and come forward. And uh, I, don't, I don't think he's been past the first round, or maybe he has once, but uh, I'm, I'm getting back to my finishing ways with this fight, man. And, and that's why the UFC matches up. They know someone's, someone's getting finished. Well, you mentioned uh, he's reckless in his aggression. Your last opponent was kind of the same way, and it just took you a little bit of time to feel him out and figure out the rhythm. Is that what you think is going to happen uh, when you face Lacerda this weekend? Yeah, brother. Um, you're right. Uh, like My last two opponents have been uh, pretty forward pressure heavy uh, and pretty aggressive. Like uh, Jacob Silva was a, a shorter uh, – my contender's first fight, Jacob Silva, was like a shorter, stockier, little fire hydrant. Just comes forward, throws big overhands, big hooks. And uh, my last opponent, uh, Richie Lang, was seemed like he was five foot twelve, but throwing big hooks, big overhands at me as well. So uh, it'd be cool to to fight someone my own size and height, um, who's going to throw big hooks and big overhands at me. Yeah, well, it should, it should be a fun one. Uh, from watching your last fight, 
Uh, I think that if it's the same kind of thing, we're, we're in for a treat. Now, after the first round of your last fight, I actually just went back and watched it. It seemed like you had a little bit of doubt. You shook your head. What allowed you to kind of clear your head and get back into it um, and put the round behind you so quickly? Man, it was just uh, it was a little frustration. It was like, oh, man, I lost that round. But uh, I, I knew I wasn't out for the fight, man. I knew I wasn't out of that fight. It was just like, okay, I lost that, that, that first round. And I kind of uh, showed that in between the first round. Uh, I felt like he postured on me like after the first round, like, oh, I, I got you. Uh, maybe I made that up in my head, but that's kind of why uh, we got face-to-face. And I was like, hey, man, I'm out of here. Like, you got that round. Good job, buddy. But, uh, you know, we're here for, for, for two more rounds. You know, we're here for a, a long time. And we're here until this fight's over. So, And I know that sounds silly to say, but that, that was kind of my mentality. Um, so heading back to the corner, I shook my head just out, out of frustration, like, dang it, lost that round. But, man, we got a saying at our gym, at Glory MMA and Fitness, it's, it's 5.01. Like, at five minutes and one second to that fight, like, that's, that's when we shine. Like, that's, like, the deeper the water go, waters go, the, the, the better we are. Like, the, the brighter we shine. So, uh, yeah, in between rounds, uh, a lot of the stuff we worked on for that camp wasn't working. Um, so the, the best the best coach in the world who hasn't been recognized for it, but James Krauss, uh, pretty much told me what to stop doing and what to start doing. And, um, I'm pretty uh, conscious and aware in the corner. So I was pretty receptive to that. And that's honestly what won me the fight. Yeah. James Krauss, of course, does deserve a ton of credit for the coach. I mean, he's, people talk about Khabib and how great of a coach he is, but I think James Krauss, even though he wasn't as big of, or still, I guess, isn't as big of a name in MMA, definitely deserves the recognition. Uh, I find the Man, you're talk- going to get me riled up talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> man uh khabib's been coaching for like 12 days like <laughs> and he's coaching people that are already great fighters and 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 athletes that are already pre-built up and like he's more of a teammate than he is a coach like james has legit built people from from nothing um so the fact that he wasn't even in consideration is nuts to me like i came to him when i was one and two as a pro um he has other people like grant dawson who legit built him from nothing and now he's the co-main event um for, for Saturday night. And, and there's, man, I think we have like 13 UFC guys in the gym or, and gals. Um, so like the proof is in the pudding, man. Like his track record speaks for himself. So some of those people that got nominated, I'm just like, what? Like how sway? <laughs> well, you're kind of a, an apprentice. Uh, by the way, I did catch the Kanye reference there, but just, just to show you that I'm hip, <laughs> even though I'm nearing the right age on. of 40, but, uh, two weeks ago you were in the corner as well. So are you, are you kind of taking on something of an apprenticeship role by, uh, by doing some corner work? Cause I know you've been doing some in the past as well, despite uh, how young you are. Yeah, man. I, I love coaching. I, I, I selfishly, I get better from it. And, um, yeah, it is something I can see myself doing in the future. And man, uh, James is probably one of my biggest role models, if not the biggest role model besides my, my pops, besides my dad. So uh, I'm trying to be like him, man. I, I want I want to be where he's at in his career. And uh, you, you do that by hanging out with those people. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I see myself coaching and, 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 and helping other people. Like I, like I said, selfishly, I get better from it. And I also get this enjoyment from it that, that's pretty different, man. Like I, knowing I played a small role in someone's um, career – life whether it's like weight loss or if it's winning a fight and just watching them get better it's uh selfishly it's pretty pretty enjoyable so if i recall it was the uh um tim elliott was fighting and you were in that corner but if i'm if i'm not mistaken the other corner was mark montoya so does james get up for those fights more because montoya trained him yeah uh it was actually uh it was matthew nikolai's corner from brazil 
uh, the fight you're, you're talking about with okay. Timmy, but uh, the fight that you're referring to was uh, Mike Breeden uh, got a short notice call to fight mm-hmm. Alex Hernandez, Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he was, uh, he was cornering against his, his coach. Um, we, I think we have like two rules that kind of like our gym won't fight their, their guys unless it's a, a title fight or, um, or a short notice opportunity. Like you can't, you can't pass that up, man. Like, so uh, at that point it's just strictly business and, yeah, I'm sure it's awkward, man. But at the end of the day, like you gotta, you gotta respect the game and respect the business. So, you know, someone's gonna win. Uh, unfortunately, it's not just winning in the sport. There, there's come consequences with losing, and uh, sometimes you get, you get hurt or you get TKO, knocked out, submitted, whatever it is. Um, and it's just the, the ugly part of this business. But like, uh, like the great Max Holloway says, it is what it is. One of the things that is always weird for me when I talk to you is like having just watched your fight, you're you're like always upbeat, you're smiling, but in the fight you're like so zeroed in on your opponent. You're very calm and you're very controlled, but you're also your face doesn't really change. So how how does that happen, I guess? I mean, how do you how do you flip the switch? Man, uh everyone's different like with their with their approach to 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 fighting. Uh for me, I found my happy medium pretty pretty early. Um I had my first fight at 15. Uh, I started training when I was 14, so it was just uh, finding what works for me, man. And uh, being calm in chaos is, is what works for me. So um, I'm like that in the gym. I'm like that on hard sparring days. I'm like that when I'm rolling. It's um, it's just something that, that works for me. It's not for everybody, but uh, I try to be try to be calm in the chaos and and really uh, use my brain in there, man. Like uh, you should be fighting off of instinct, uh, right? If you're thinking in there, you're at a disadvantage. Um, but I'm I'm pretty aware and and conscious of in it in, in a fight so i think um i'm young in the game but i also feel like a vet and i'm sure real vets like like james would, would be upset at them hearing that but i'm obsessed with the sport man i've been obsessed with the sport for the last decade of my life uh and when i say obsessed i mean obsessed man i mean i watch tape every day i don't miss a fight whether it's lfa regional shows like i, I watch tape every day uh, i'm constantly looking to get better i'm in the gym two three times a day whether i got a fight lined up or not um, I'm obsessed with the sport, man. So I think I have a good fight IQ while I'm in there and it's only going to get better, man. Uh, I wasn't happy with my performance in this last fight, but some of the takeaways from it was, or the pros, I guess would be that I got 15 minutes of cage time at the highest level. And that's valuable, man. That's really valuable uh, when you're fighting the best in the world. So I'll take it for what it is. And I think just me, uh, dedicating my life to the sport for the last 10 years, uh, is, is the reason why I can be uh, calm and composed in there. Did you watch the Contender Series yesterday? I did, man. I did. I was going to be up a bunch of money until uh, the – I forgot his name, but the, the main event, um, the dude that lost. I, I had him in a yeah. parlay. That would have hit – what was his name? Rev something? Red Solomon Renfro, yeah. Yeah, great fight, great fight. I had it for the other guy. Uh, granted, I was a little biased because I had money on it. Um, but, man, I would have been up. Pretty pretty good. Uh, had he won? See, I think at the very least he should. That's a draw. Like that 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 first round should be a ten eight in my eyes. I I agree. I heard him. Um, and it sucks because it's in Vegas, man. And I'm I'm fighting here in a couple of days, and it's like I don't see her fight going to decision, man. But sometimes it it, it happens, you know. So uh, yeah, it's uh, the judging in this in the sport. I think could for sure change. And um, yeah. 
That's yeah, I disagree with you there. Right? I think we the judges. I think a lot of the judges in Vegas are very good. I think they get a bad reputation. Yeah. I think that the, the the final two rounds going to Parsons is good judging. Like I think that Parsons did enough in those two rounds in terms of impactful striking that would get him those two rounds. The one thing I disagree with is the first round because I feel like that should have been a 10-8 based on the, the scoring criteria. Yeah. And you seem like somebody who's very well aware of the scoring criteria because I hear you talk. I, I heard your interview with James Lynch from last week where you talked about um, how you're always moving, you're always striking, you're always looking to do damage. And that's, you know, that's the mindset of somebody who knows how to win on the scorecards. Yeah, no, I agree with you. If, if anything, it should have been a draw. Uh, I forgot which round I thought was close as well. I could have went either way. but Third, uh, probably. Man. Yeah, I, th- I think open scoring fixes all this. I, I think it, the the argument that Dana has as far as it creating boring fights, I, I just don't see it, man. I, I just don't see it. And quite the opposite. Like uh, Tim Elliott fought two weeks ago. We thought we were up too, so we coasted in the third. So that kind of defeats the argument there. Like I feel like if we know it's 1-1 going to the third, it's going to create bangers. Like It's going to create a, a lot more exciting fights. And I just don't see the argument for coasting and – I think having more judges, having five judges or maybe even six, I know that creates a opportunity for it to, to, to be a tie or a draw, but man, I feel like there's solutions to this. Um, and yeah, I feel like open square, like I, I live in Kansas. Uh, I train in Missouri, but mm-hmm. I go to fights all the time in Kansas and they use open scoring. So when I'm cornering, I know we're up. I know for a fact we're up. And, uh, I feel like the judging will get better from that. I feel like, if if one judge scored it one way and the other four scored it a different way and we see that on the open scoring, like they're going to get criticized and rightfully so, especially if it's blatant, uh, especially if it's not close at all. Um, so yeah, I, I do think those things should happen and hopefully one day uh, that change happens. I think Colorado just adapted open mm-hmm, uh, yeah. or adopted open scoring, which is pretty cool, but like, but fuck Kansas shouldn't be the only place that has open scoring. You know, we should start with like, places where they have fights on all the time, like California, Las Vegas, Texas. Like, let's start with these big states, and then we can trickle our way down to, like, Iowa or something, you know? I've seen it fail in kickboxing. I've seen it fail in boxing open scoring. It just doesn't... A lot of the times, it does either cause people to be very cautious in the final round, although the person that's losing is often very aggressive. But, I mean, the, the fight I always point to for open scoring is Austin Trout against Canelo. Like, I thought Austin Trout was winning a lot of those rounds, and it was, like, in San Antonio, which is near the Mexican border, and Canelo was winning all these rounds he shouldn't have been winning, and it's still open scoring, and there's just nothing that Austin Trout could have done, regardless of what happened, to have won that fight because of the open scoring. Yeah. He, he wasn't able to push it any further. And then I've, I've watched Glory Kickboxing, where they have open scoring in certain places, and I don't find that there's that big of a difference there either. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I need to kind of see it before I can buy in. I know in MMA, it's a little bit different. It's three rounds, and, and every round makes a big difference. But for, from what I've seen from open scoring in the past, I'm not, I'm not sold on it, at least as much as you are. For sure, yeah. Aaron, I, I understand uh, your, your argument, uh, not against it, but just uh, your side of it. Just having, a, again, MMA score differently than, than the, those two sports, and just having experienced it in person uh a handful of times more than a handful of times uh at least 20 30 times um it works man it really does and just knowing where we're at in the round and it affects it affects coaching and cornering differently and almost at this point you just want to tell your fighter you're down all three rounds you know it's like but at the same time that's not how the sport works like fights go to a decision it's going to happen when you're fighting the best in the world or even if it's on the regional scene like some fights are going to go to decision especially if you're an amateur and it's three round fights or three minute fights excuse me 
Like it's going to happen. And I, I think open scoring is a, is a good solution. And why not try it? Like what, what is there to lose? Like the fights, what fights are going to get worse? I don't think so, man. Like, uh, I think, uh, open scoring would, would, would help a bit, but we, we know how the sport is with, uh, adopting new rules. So we'll see, man. Well, you're the one in the corner. You're the one who uh, is seeing it in practicum. So, in my opinion, I'll take I'll take half point rounds. That's my that's the that's the hill I'm willing to die on. Is ten to eight and a half, yeah, yeah. ten to nine and a half. You take really close rounds, you make them ten to nine and a half. You take almost near ten eight rounds, make them ten to eight and a half. I feel like you're going to get better scorecards there. That's that's my hill. That's the one that I'm I'm I want to see change. And I think the only reason they're, that they're not doing it is because people don't know how to do math. Like people sitting cases, yeah, I don't well, want to use just decimals. About to say that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, adding more math to these judges, you might not want to do that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe get each one a calculator or something and, and figure it out. Yeah, I was gonna say there's this great technology, a calculator. In fact, every phone seems yeah. to have one too. Magic. I I, I don't understand. Believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's some uh, some judges across the United States that probably are still walking, rocking a flip phone or something. So I can see how that'd be a problem. Well, Jeff, always love picking your brain. I uh, look forward to seeing you back in action this weekend. From what you tell me about your opponent, it's going to be uh, fireworks as per usual. Uh, thanks for your time, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. My man, thank you for having me, brother. Well, the next trip for Corey Anderson could be to Titletown, taking on Vadim Nemkov in the finals of the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. Your nickname's Overtime, but very short work uh, on Saturday against Ryan Bader. Yeah, that was the idea, you know. I don't want to go out and make it a long fight. Try to get over it as soon as I can and get out without any damage. One of the things uh, Eddie Alvarez told me when I first got into the tournament, he was like, uh, the tournament ain't necessarily going to be who's the best fighter. Yeah, the best fighter. And the night you make it to the octagon is going to win, but the biggest thing is to go in and take the least amount of damage as you can and make it to the tournament healthy so you can make it to the finals the best you. And uh, I think I did that again. Going out and getting a quick finish. Well, that's the fastest that anybody's beaten Ryan Bader. And this version of Ryan Bader is possibly the best version of Ryan Bader that we've seen, two-division champion, um, at least for a period of time. Is, does that you know, mean a lot to you, to have, being able to have beaten him faster than anybody else? It's, it's cool, but it ain't nothing like I'm bragging about, oh, I'm finishing the fastest. I'm just glad I got to finish. And uh, for me, it was my second fastest finish in my career fastest in since I've been in the big leagues, but I had a 15-second finish on the regional circuit. But uh, in the UFC, I had a 61-second finish, but uh, 51 in Bellator was also cool, so straight. Now tell me if you agree with this. When I watched the fight on Saturday, I said that you're fighting with a freedom that I hadn't seen you fight with really in the past. I, I think you've, you, since you've gotten to Bellator, you've kind of been fighting that same way. There was a lot of tension in your previous fights I found in the UFC. Uh, where, where it seemed like there was a lot of pressure on you. Do you feel like that's one of the big keys to your success so far in Bellator? 100%. 100%. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And it's just not – the pressure isn't more of the fans, but it's just like with the UFC. And I've said it before. I was just dealing with a lot, dealing with Dana and the matchmakers and trying to get the right fights. And it was just a back-and-forth battle all the time. And then uh, kind of Dana would say stuff to the media, which makes the um, – the fans kind of turn as well, and everybody gonna believe what Dana says because it's Dana, of course. So you know, at the time I was battling more than just who I had to fight on fight night. I wasn't just fight, battling my opponent. I was trying to please the fans and trying to make sure I made the UFC happy so I can get a title fight. Knowing we deserved it, but it was like I gotta do something to make them say, "Okay, that was exciting. Okay, he was right." 
So it was always, instead of just going out there and fighting my fight and doing what I'm doing now, comfortable, relaxed, it was always going into a fight with like this burden on my back and so much on my chest. Like I wanted to get off when I would get a chance on the mic. I wanted to, I wanted to vent and air things out. That's for now. I don't have that. You know, uh, I say it every time I talk to somebody like, man, I'm happy. And the most dangerous fighter is a happy fighter because I go in there, you know, I go in there prepared to win. But at the same time, if the loss happens, it happens. I'm just out there having fun. I'm going to do me. And I'm just enjoying this ride. It's like a, a second beginning, a new beginning, a new life. And while I'm enjoying it and just having fun, everything is just it's just clicking. And my coach has been telling me my whole career, like, man, just go out there and have fun. Don't pay attention to the fans. Don't think about the pressure. Just be you. Just do what you do every day in the gym. And, man, you're going to go out there and you're just going to be amazing. And the last three fights I've had in Bellator, I've done exactly that. You guys seen how it's come out. For sure, and I think that that is very apparent in your last couple of fights. Now, does not having to worry about a win bonus mean something in that regards, like in terms of how free you can feel in there? Because I imagine with Bellator, you're fighting on just a large base contract and not having to worry about getting a win bonus. Of course, this Grand Prix has a million-dollar prize at the end of the tunnel, but uh, just in general, is not having to worry about a win bonus something that frees you a little bit more? Oh, I fight for a win bonus. I still got a two-part contract. I didn't sign a contract for just one lump sum. Like I said before, I like it. I like it that way. I was talking to my wife the other day. I did an interview with somebody asked the same question. And I never even thought about getting a solid check. But I asked my wife, like, what do you think? You think I should be trying to, should when I have to do a new contract, should I try to do just one flat fee or just keep fighting for win and show? I like the win and show because the show money is like, okay, that's half. But the win is like a more incentive. And can't, that's incentive I have as I'm training. It's in my mind, it's like I can't let this man take the other half of my money away from me. I got to feed the family. I got a family feed. He's not taking food from my family's mouth. I'm going out here and I'm getting it all. There will be nothing left on the table. Yeah, I guess if you get a full solid check, win or lose, that would be nice. But I feel like it's it's a bigger cop out. You can go in there and be getting beat up and then realize like, well, it's really not worth coming back and fighting. I'm getting that full check regardless. So it ain't worth it. I'm getting paid. That's my mindset. I always, I always need something to work for, something to work towards. And right now, it's the belt in that second check. So you're on the opposite side of the argument. You actually like the incentive of having uh, base plus uh, win money. Yeah, as long as it's a good amount of money, 100%. I mean, if they're trying to give me peanuts, that's a different story. But, uh, yeah, I'm getting way more money now when I was fighting in UFC and all that. So now it's like really great incentive. So I'm really training hard and pushing hard. I'm happy. So everything just pans out to be great for me. So with a win in this next fight against Nemkov, you'd get a million dollars. What would that mean to you in, in your life? Uh, how much would that help you in terms of your, your future goals of perhaps not um, having to do much after this career? I mean, I've said it all the time. When I got into fighting, I never planned on using fight money to live my life. You know, I actually was working and coaching at gyms and doing things that the amateurs and stuff do all up until I signed the Bellator contract. And the reason that was is I always just take my fight money and it goes direct deposit into my bank account. I have a bank account back in home, back at home, and I got accounts out here in camp where I do camp where I can get money to spend for the family. But all the big money goes direct deposit to my bank account back home. And it's just in the savings. So all that has been saved up my whole career. So you got eight years of money just saved up. So when fighting was over, we never had to worry about what we're going to do next. Oh, 
well, we're, we don't get retirement pension, so we got to get another job. No, the money has been stacked up this whole time. Now we take that money and then we invest into our next business. We want to start a gym. Okay, that's fine. We got that. We don't have to get along. All the different stuff like that. But with an extra million dollars on top of all that, it's going to make it a breeze. I mean, I can go out there and get probably one of the biggest gyms in the world if I wanted to. But uh, like money is never really, it's a help. It's a helpful incentive, but it's never been the motivation for me. You know, I've always been good with money. I've always saved. I've always hustled my whole life. So I've always had money in my pockets, but the incentive has always been to be the champ. If you can finish tournament and you're the champ, you're the best in the world, and you just got a million dollars, that's just three great things. So when you walk away from this career, those are all things you can put on your resume to help you get into the next step for open the gym. Yes, it's Bellator, 205, light heavyweight champ. He beat such and such and such. He was the best in the world when he finished. And then at the top, when I go to open my gym, that extra million is going to make it easy. Any overhead, any equipment needed, it's not like, oh, we really don't have much right now. It's like, all right, hit the bank account. Go get it. Well, let's uh, add a fourth incentive. You just beat the heavyweight champion of the world in under a minute, not just a, a guy who is the former light heavyweight champion. Does champ champ status appeal to you as something you'd want to go after after this tournament uh, if you're successful in the light heavyweight division? 100%. 100%. You know, uh, I definitely, like I said in an interview after the fight, I would love to be like DC and Triple C, you know, have my two belt champ, two big old plaques or shadow boxes in my living room of two different belts. That would just be amazing. That's just something as my kids would grow up and they would see that and they ask questions and their friends come over and they ask questions and they realize like that was my father, you know, and that's for me. It's me. I didn't do it in one division. I did it in two divisions and it wasn't an easy route. It was a tough route. My career was never easy, but we made it. At the end, we stuck to the goal. We stuck to the plan and we got it done. I remember watching you on Tough and thinking this is a guy who might be able to make middleweight. Then I stood next to you and I'm thinking that's probably not the case, but is that something that you, you've ever considered is maybe trying to become a three-division champion in Bellator? I haven't just considered it, but my coach used to consider it all the time. They actually used to, after a t every time I would get knocked out, I used to be small. I used to walk around like 212. I never let myself really get past fight, cutting weight. Fight can't wait because if I had a fight on short notice, I would be ready. But it was never really good on my body. I was always tired and wore out. And my coach always felt like, man, you can make it. You can make it. But that's a whole other 20 pounds. And what people don't realize is I was 300 pounds back in 2000 or 2007. Yeah, 2007, 2008. I was 297.8. And I was wrestling. I was a college athlete at that point. So it wasn't like I was just sloppy fat. But, and I tried it. I tried to go to 85 when I was in the USC. I went out to the PI and did all the testing and the 3D scan, and they gave me a meal plan, everything to try it. And then halfway, like not even halfway through, not even partway through, they ended up emailing me. I was like, we highly, we highly recommend you do not do this, Corey. Because you try this, you might make weight, but you're not going to be any good at all. Like your body is just going to, it's going to eat up everything you have. You will make weight, but you probably won't be able to compete the next day. It's not worth it. And after that, we just started lifting, and I finally got comfortable just getting back to my natural size, getting back to like 230, 235. I get to 240, it is what it is, just lift and train, and we'll worry about getting my weight down come fight time. When you were on The Ultimate Fighter, were you, like, were you a lot leaner? Do you think you could have made it back then? Because, I, again, like, I always thought that you were more like a Rashad Evans-style light heavyweight, a really good wrestler. You use your speed to your advantage. And then, again, I, I met you in person, and I was like, no, no, this, guy, this guy's bigger than Rashad Evans. I've always had just a, a dense body. Like I said, I come from a huge family. A lot of my parents, my dad's side of the family 
are just huge, just borderline obese. Some of them are obese. It's like we're just all big people. My brother, if you ever seen my brother next to me, he makes me look small. And he was a football player. He had a contract, played pro ball and everything. So I don't think I could have ever really made 85 easy. You know, when I was in seventh grade, I wrestled 181 or 171. And I was up to like 185, 181 in seventh grade. My freshman year in high school, I wrestled 205. Then I ended up wrestling heavyweight by the end of the year, which is 275. The next year, I went to 285, and I wrestled heavyweight all the way from my freshman year in high school to my senior year in college. So throughout that time and all the body mass and lifting and training, I just don't think 85 was ever. I could have probably made it, but it just wouldn't have been safe. After your fight, I had written on social media that I, you know, what I mentioned to you earlier, that you were fighting with a real freedom, and I thought that, that was kind of the key to your success uh, so far in Bellator. And one guy said, no, the key to his success is he's, he's fighting worse fighters because he's in Bellator. And then I had to refresh their memory that Ryan Bader was like on a five-fight win streak when he left the UFC, became a two-division champion in Bellator, and that you have wins over both Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira. <laughs> so at the very least, I would say that there's an argument that you're at least tied for the best light heavyweight in the world, given that you and Jan Blachowicz are one and one yeah, 100%. I mean, people are going to say whatever. Like, I had this kind of another conversation I had with my brother yesterday. Is it, I could go ahead and beat everybody in the world. Something happened where me and y'all fight again, I'll beat it, and they'll still find a way to say Corey Anson isn't the best. You look at my following. I've never had a big following, no matter what I do. And it's just never paying out that Corey is actually good. Uh, they go back to saying, like, with the Yon fight, like, oh, you beat Yon six years ago, but he beat you. And then you go to Gian Vellante. Well, Gian Vellante was eight years ago. Y'all don't realize I've only been fighting eight and a half years. I got in the UFC with three fights. I beat Yannis Blockwich on my sixth professional fight ever. He had 20-something fights. So, you know, it just took me time to learn what I know now and get to the point. I'm still learning every day. I'm still working just the basics in the gym. I haven't learned much past that because I'm just still new. I'm at the point now where some amateurs are just not going pro. And I'm at the top of the division in the world. So no matter what, people are always going to go against me. But that is what it is because I know how good I can be. They're going to say, oh, he's beating up older people. He's beating up younger people. Well, Glover Sixera is 42. He was 40 when I beat him. They're like, oh, you beat uh, Melvin Manhoe. He's 41. Okay, Glover was 40. Let's beat him last year. What's the difference? So no matter what, it's always going to be something. I just know how good I am and where I stand. And that's all that matters to me. And you also never fought John Jones. So people can't play that card on you either. Yeah, they can't say that. I tried to get that fight. And, you know, that we was right there. We beat everybody but John Jones and Gustafson. And they just wouldn't give me that fight. So is it my fault I didn't get that fight? No, because I was on a winning streak at that point. And they just kept doing everything they could to keep it from happening. And it is what it is. If the opportunity don't come, that's not my fault. But I did everything I could to prove who I can be, who I can beat, and who I am. All right, well, let's take you out of the equation. Where do you rank Nemkov in terms of him, Jan Blahovic? Glover, the other guys that are the top light heavyweights in the world. Do you think that he's better than those guys? I don't think he's he's very well-rounded. He puts things together really well. You put it that way. But when you think about the top well-rounded, I think Glover is probably one of the top, if not probably number two right behind me is the top because he does jujitsu and his wrestling really well. Jan is him and I'll say him and Glover is really close. And I'll put Nimkov probably slightly behind them at like three and four. He's pretty good. He's pretty athletic. He uses what he has, what he's good at. He does it really well to kind of know what other people are good at. So with that, I definitely put him in the top five. But I, I don't know. 
he we'll see when I fight him, but I just feel I am the best, and I feel he's right there behind me, right there with Jan and Glover, all those guys, and like a little trio. And finally, with Nemkov, in the first round against Angliskis, he got tagged. I mean, he got hit with a big shot. Knowing that you are going to have much better wrestling than Angliskis, who lost to him in that fight, and the reason why I believe he lost is because Nemkov was able to take him down after he took that big shot and really control the fight there. Do you see openings for you where if you fight Nemkov, he's not going to be able to get out of that situation if you are able to hit him with a big shot? Oh, 100%. I mean, you guys seen, like, we're... Uh, the Bader fight just a couple days ago. Once I hit him with the big shot, I was on swarm right away. Didn't give him a chance to, to recover. I didn't give him a chance to even realize what happened. I hit him and was on top of him. And say he does happen to get up. He, we know he's going to be scared to get hit again, just like he did against Julius. He got hit. He didn't want to get hit again. So he strayed away from the striking. He did everything he could to move, 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 and get a takedown. Well, I know he's not going to take me down. I already know. He, he could barely take Phil Davis down. Phil Davis got taken down by Bader five, six times in their time. I just know he's not going to be able to take me down. He can't do what he did to Inglickis to me, which is a takedown. On the ground, when I get on top, he's not going to get up. And if he happens to sweep me and get on top, I'm going to get up. Julius is young. I said it before. When I said everybody asked, who do you think going to win, Julius or Nimkoff? I thought Nimkoff just had more experience, and he just had that over Julius. But as for that, I have – more experience, I'm more well-rounded. I'm just a better athlete, a better striker, a better wrestler than all of them. As for a kicker, I'll say Nemkov got me beaten in the kick category, but other than that, everything else I own. Well, if he tries to kick you, you've got those takedowns in your back pocket as well, so might not be advisable for him. Uh, anyways, Corey, thanks for doing this. Appreciate you, and uh, best of luck in the finals of the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. All right, sir. Thank you for having me. You have a good one. I'm now joined by the king of kickboxing himself, Rico Verhoeven, recently celebrating eight years of being the glory heavyweight champion. How hard is that to do? I mean, this is the biggest weight class in an all-striking sport. I feel like you don't get enough credit for something like that. Uh, well, I think I get, a, I get enough credit, but a little bit extra is always good. But, um, yeah, how do you do it? Just keep putting in the work every time. And... Um, I think if you enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't feel like uh, work and it doesn't feel heavy or whatever. Just keep pushing yourself and make sure uh, you're better than you was yesterday. So that's what we're trying to do for the last whatever years. Well, whatever it is, you've been very successful, of course. And uh, you've got a big rematch this weekend with uh, Jamel Ben-Sadiq, who looked fantastic against Benny Adekbui in the last tournament. Uh, you trained with Benny uh, out there in the Netherlands. Uh, what does this fight mean to you in terms of uh, it being a rematch? And how much better do you think Jamel's gotten? Um, yeah, I'm excited to see how, uh, how much better uh, he got. Because, yeah, he's been through some uh, trouble times. And he hasn't been in the ring for like three years. So I think the tournament was uh, was his last uh, moment he was in the ring. So that's it's been a while. So let's see how he copes with that pressure. Now you entered the tournament at Glory 77 earlier this year. Was the reason for that so you can get more reps? I mean, to, to be in the tournament means you're fighting multiple times a night. Uh, no, because I, I was actually going to face Jamal in January. So uh, he... Um, uh, due, to, uh, due to a back injury, he had to uh, pull out of the fight. So, and then Glory started checking like different opponents, like who they wanna wanted to, to put against me. And then at a certain point, they checked a few fighters, and they all thought like, 
oh, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. So then Glory said, all right, let's just make a tournament. I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very easygoing if you're okay accepting those kind of terms because you just never know who you're going to face that night. And it's, it's hard to train for, what, four different potential opponents. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. But uh, we had a good opponent. I had a, a small altercation with uh, with the guy I fought in the first uh, in the first round. But uh, yeah, we left it all in the ring, and uh, yeah, we squashed the beef afterwards. The original opponent, of course, is more well known here in uh, in North America. That's Alistair Overeem, an MMA legend, of course, also a kickboxing legend. How disappointed were you when you found out the news that he wasn't going to be facing you uh, at this event? Yeah, I was disappointed, but yeah, in the end, that's what happens in, in the fighting game. And I think you always just got to stay flexible in whatever you do. For me, I always look at uh, it like, okay, the opponent is there when he's across from me in the ring. And before that, anything can happen to him, to me, whatever. So, um I hope he's. Uh, I hope he's okay. He gets. He gets well soon, and we can, yeah, still do the fight. How ingrained in the fabric of the Netherlands is kickboxing? You know, it's hard for us to come at it from again being in North America, where kickboxing is a fantastic sport, but it doesn't resonate quite as much uh, over here as it does there. Yeah, it's. Well, I gotta say, throughout, uh, it's always been. We've always been really good at kickboxing because I think we've been dominating the sport for like twenty five years but um, I think for the last five six years I really put it on the map here and now it's, it's huge the whole uh, sport in general grew here and just like everybody uh, knows me knows the sport and it's like I think it's more accepted or in, in some kind of way I think it's the same as it was with MMA um, in, in the U.S. throughout the years that in the beginning it's just it's just fighting, it's tough, it's hard. And at a certain point, everybody starts accepting it. And then you can, they see you can make a living out of it. And then, yeah, I think everything just start is starting to fall together. And then now, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And people are bringing their children to, instead of uh, putting them on basketball or baseball or whatever, uh, sports you can think of they also uh, put them on kickboxing so i think that's amazing i think that's a huge goal uh, a huge accomplishment so can you go anywhere in the netherlands without being recognized at this stage in your career <laughs> not really no <laughs> yeah, i was curious about that i think um you've made such a big name for yourself in this sport that it's it's you're like the michael jordan of kickboxing that's why you're the king of kickboxing yes sir yeah we uh yeah we put up quite the, the resume and we still do so we just Enjoying what we're doing and embracing everything that comes with it. We're starting to see a lot of fighters transition from kickboxing to mixed martial arts, uh, especially champions from Glory. You've got Michelle Pereira. Uh, recently, Cedric Dumbe said he's he's planning on moving to mixed martial arts. At a time, you were training for mixed martial arts, but decided to stick with kickboxing. Um, is it for that same reason? Because of how big you are there? Because of um, how much um, how much more lucrative kickboxing is for you uh, versus mixed martial arts and having to start from the bottom of, of that particular sport? Yeah, I think it's very important to, when you make a transition like that, you should really feel like, okay, I'm doing this with the mindset of becoming the best. And if you don't have that mindset or that feeling, then, yeah, why bother doing it? So, yeah, I really 
question asked myself that question like is am i really want to be the best mma fighter i don't know and then glory came with an amazing offer so it was yeah actually pretty easy for me to just stay in what i'm doing and i'm the best at what i'm doing so let's just keep enjoying that do you feel like you could be the best mixed martial artist if you did transition? Obviously, you'd have to learn a lot more about the grappling end of things, uh, which I'm sure you've trained for years anyways, but do you feel like that would be uh, an accomplishment that's possible for you at this age? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. I think because it's not my ambition to do it, I don't think I will be able to do it because I think that's a very important key to becoming the best at, some, at something. You just got to dedicate your whole life to it and if your life and your feeling and your ambition is not in it, your passion is not in it, then you're never going to make it. So I think I got to answer your question with no. Your last finish against uh, Ben Sadiq was about midway through the fifth round of your previous fight. Do you think this is going to be an earlier finish or do you think this one will go to a decision? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> that would be. Let's, uh, let's hope we can finish a little bit, or, a little bit earlier than we did last time. Well, you don't get paid by the minute. I appreciate your time, Rico. Thank you for this. And uh, it's Glory Collision. It's this weekend at yourself versus Jamel Ben Sadiq in the main event for the Glory Heavyweight Championship that you've held for more than eight years. Again, a massive accomplishment. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. A huge thank you to all of our guests on this week's TSN MMA Show interview edition. Paulo Costa, Marvin Vittori, Random Marcos, Jeff Molina, Corey Anderson, and Rico Verhoeven. And thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Always appreciate your patronage. And I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review the show. Leave a positive review, five stars. These go a long way in the podcasting sphere. And hey, you're getting a lot of free entertainment every single week. No ads. That's all I ask. Rate, review. Would really appreciate that. So thank you for uh, tuning in. And we'll be back next week. It's UFC 267. We're going to have interviews with um, Glover Teixeira, Jan Bojovic, Hopefully with Dana White, with Piotr Jan, with Corey Sanhagen. It's going to be a stacked week. And then the week after that, fingers crossed, I will be in New York. My first time traveling since the start of the pandemic. Whew, I cannot wait to get out to New York for UFC 268. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.